everybody. Welcome back to the Empire State Conservatives Podcast. It is me, your host, Evan, here with the infamous Gabe Montalvo. And we have a very special guest, current candidate for the House of Representatives out of PA District 18, Luke Negron. Luke, thanks so much for coming on the show. You're welcome. Thank you guys for having me. It's awesome to be here. Love doing this type of thing. So, Luke, you are actually a very interesting political candidate. I've been going through your website. Um, but being a political outsider now seems to be in fashion. You know, ever since President Trump came on the scene, we've seen a huge influx in people challenging career politicians and trying to, quote unquote, drain the swamp. You know, why don't you give people a little bit of background of where you come from and what possessed you to run for political office? Yeah. So first of all, I think you're exactly right in saying that. I think President Trump kind of cracked the code. He kind of called the bluff of the American public and the American media, and he showed a path forward for uh, citizen leaders, which is really what America was meant to be. Whether you're on the left or on the right, I think we should all agree that our leaders are meant to be representative of the citizenry who they came from, their neighbors, especially when you get to local offices like mayors, governors, and, and representatives in state houses and in the federal U.S. House. So that's one of the overarching reasons that I am where I am today. I've always been interested and involved in politics kind of from the back end of things. I've been in campaigns and grassroots events. Um, I studied politics at Grove City College. And now I saw this as an opportune time to come in, make some waves and capitalize on the fact that people now have political outsiders and a desire for political outsiders on their mind in a very bipartisan way. So I love seeing that. And specifically in Western PA, we've got some, some long-time incumbents, I'm talking decades long, who I think should have been gone term limited a long time ago, who are, are very vulnerable below the surface. But then to dive into a little bit more about me personally, um, the, the story really goes that back when I was eight years old, that's when 9-11 happened. Um, and so, so I was eight years old, came in into the, uh, the kitchen you know, with my mom, I was homeschooled. And, uh, and my dad had called and said, turn on the TV. Prior to literally that day, that moment in time, everything was the memory of a kid, the memory of playing and having fun and, and carefree. And in that day, I was introduced to, to global warfare, to the fact that it matters who our leaders are, uh, to competing global religions. You know, what is, what is jihad? What is Islam? Like, why, why does any of this matter? Why are people talking about it? Um, and from that point on, I started to care increasingly so about social and political leadership. Um, and then on top of that, I'd say it's always been a skill set of mine. I'm not someone who ever really aspired to go into uh, you know, technical sciences. Um, I, I've worked with my hands. I've worked in construction. I didn't want to make a career out of that. Um, but social leadership, talking to people, understanding why we believe what we believe, and then reasoning through things, trying to bring people together. And, uh, and understand one another. That's something I've always been passionate about and more skilled in than some other, some other assets of, of life. Um, so that's kind of what brings me to where I am today. And like I said, then, you know, through high school, college, uh, I put in a lot of time in community work, community building with uh, groups like Samaritan's Purse, International Justice Mission, the Pittsburgh Project, um, because I've always cared about the people among us who have less, who are, who are held down, who are hurt, um, and, and who need help. And then I, I joined the Air Force, studied politics in college, studied national security and communications. And all these things kind of fit together to build a, an experience for me and a database for me to pull from that in 2020 made me feel like it was time to, uh, time to kind of step out of the shadows and do something big. 
Very good. I mean, there's a lot in there. So let's let's start with term limits because this has become a hot button issue. We all know that career politicians are a big problem, especially in Washington. You know, we're at in New York. We've had Chuck Schumer for decades. This guy is probably one of the worst politicians ever. You know, what is your view on term limits? How do we implement this? And do you think it can be effective? And you think people actually go for it? Yeah. Yeah. So term limits are something that I think are needed in the modern structure that we exist within. And I'm careful to say that because one of the common questions that I hear that's a valid question is why, if term limits are justified, if they are pro-liberty, why didn't our great founders, who I, I, I by and large approve of, and I think were amazing, why didn't they implement term limits? And, and beyond that, aren't elections kind of their own term limits? And I would say the answer to that second question is no. Elections no longer are their own term limits. The answer to that first question, why didn't the founders implement them, is because they made a structure that didn't need term limits. We changed that structure. So some of the changes that we see today are in media, and um, and in communications, it had the media and communications that we have today, which did not exist back when in, in the 1700s, have made uh, name recognition and free advertising a massive, massive advantage for the incumbent. So that's one advantage that developed over time that they didn't have. The next advantage would be the laws that we have today, which again did not exist in the 1700s. Um, most incumbents can use taxpayer dollars to send out campaign style mailers to their citizenry. So if I'm a, a sitting representative, I can send out a mailer that says like, look at what Luke ne- Negron did for you, yada, yada, yada. It, it can't necessarily say vote for Luke Negron, but we know exactly what it is. It's free advertising and it's free advertising that your campaign doesn't have to pay for. You can technically send it out on the taxpayer dollar as long as you don't say vote for me. So that's another huge advantage. I mean, that, that's what all campaigns spend their money on. And the third thing is the FEC, the Federal Election Commission, which was implemented in the 1970s, hundreds of years after term limits were not implemented by the founders. The FEC now makes it a massive lopsided battle for anyone to come against an incumbent. And it's, there's a lot of detail here, but the summary is it's because an incumbent has the ability to use their power, their influence, and their time in office to raise money through the FEC restrictions. A challenger only has a few months, let's say 10 months, to raise money to compete with that incumbent who has been in power for maybe two years, maybe 10 years, maybe 20 years. For me, it's a guy who's been in power almost 30 years. So this guy's literally been able to sit on his stockpile raising money through the FEC for decades on end, and then you have to come and compete with him. I believe we can compete with him, but it's not, that's not what I call a fair fight. That's not what I call... Um, a fair election or a level playing field. So those are some reasons I think today we have developed into a system that requires term limits for truly free elections. Agreed. Gabe? I think what, uh, what Luke's saying here, it makes a lot of sense. We are in a point where we have so many people that have been not, well, that have been in for so long that have become Washington creatures and not serving the people um you know first and i believe it was uh, teddy roosevelt that so many people liked him because he tried to stay away from washington as much as possible that people actually cared and was like you know this is someone he uh, we can rally behind and guess what he was a very um i'd say very decent president and you know we can't really say that about a lot of people who we we see aoc she 
within the same term, in her current term, she went from, um, you know, I, I know the struggle, I come from the, the streets, I understand how the average Joe thinks, to now playing DC darling all the time. You know, what happened to the people you're supposed to represent? She doesn't walk around and go there. There were even articles saying that the supposed apartment that she claimed that she lived in, uh, that the mailman said that he hadn't seen her for months, mm. that her mail box was full of stuff. The pizza shop outside said they never saw her. The laundromat <laughs> outside said they never saw her. So again, you know, not to necessarily rag too much on her, but to give the difference between a person who understands the importance of what a public servant does, a publicly elected um, official does, versus somebody who's obviously uh, what appears to be chasing fame. And then, and then uh, Evan, I don't know how much you agree with me, but Pete King, how long has he been in, or well, he's resigning now, but how long has he been in uh, an office for? He's been like decades. Yeah. And we've seen that he was, wasn't he the only Republican to vote for the, was it the Heroes Act? Yeah, I mean, this is what <laughs> happens. They become swamp creatures. They get full of themselves. And not even just representatives. We see it with Governor Cuomo. This is a guy who is so full of himself that he acts like a damn emperor over the state. He's ruined the entire state. And there, there's no term limits for governor. He could be governor forever as long as he keeps getting elected because the idiots in New York City will keep voting for him and the idiots outside of New York City won't vote. If you, I'm sorry, yeah. if you don't vote against Andrew Cuomo, people listening, then you're an idiot. You got to vote against him. But this is the problem that we have. And you have people like Chuck Schumer and people like Tom Suozzi, who's not even that far into politics, who has millions and millions of dollars. And you can't, it's hard to challenge these people. And the problem is that we have a lot of newcomers saying exactly what you're saying, Luke, is that you're there to serve the people and that's what Washington has forgotten. But the problem is that we need people to wake up and realize this. We need more people to vote out these DC swamp rats and we need to get people in like you, like people like Liz Joy, Beth Parlato, people we've had on the show before, people who understand that you're working for the people. This is not your right to be a representative in Washington. It is a privilege to serve the people. Yeah, exactly. And that's one of my, my big messages is, look, I am one of you. I am one of the working class members uh, of, of this citizenry, of the American uh, people. And I understand. I grew up with you guys. Now, I've been in the military. I've been in the private and the public sector. I understand what we go through today as opposed to people who got elected in the 1980s or the 70s and have, like you said, lived in their swamp elitist bubble for the last several decades and now every now and then when you know two to four years when it comes time to be elected they spend a little money they pretend like they, they you know that they, they were always relevant and like they've always kept their name in your mind because you know um that they, they want to build a relationship with you over that several week cycle so that they can get reelected, and then they go and forget about you again and, and it's such a big problem and you know the u.s house used to be referred to largely as the people's house. It's not the people's house anymore. It's not a place that feels like we have representatives who are our neighbors. It feels like a place of career elitists who, uh, who line their pockets and, and power grab where and when they can. And this, this kind of comes back to what you said about Cuomo. I was thinking about you, know, you being in New York. I was going to tease you about that before getting on here. You've got both the Cuomos, right? You've got Chris and, and Andrew. You've got de Blasio. I mean, yeah, but, but then the truth is, PA's got Gavin, or uh, Tom Wolf. California has Gavin Newsom. New Jersey has Tim Murphy. We've seen these people doing radical power grabs using quote unquote safety um, as, as their excuse. And, uh, and term limits are a big part of that. And then, you know, really enforcing a, a fair fight in an election is also part of that.
Very good. Um, another big issue that's been going on, obviously, before COVID is gun rights. And New York, obviously, our rights are basically non-existent. Gabe lived in New York City, where I don't even think the Second Amendment is even recognized. That's, that's not a gone. It's just gone. <laughs> yeah. No, you could only get a get a gun if you're uh, involved in a crime because it's easier <laughs> for you to be protected under those laws. So, just a little hint. Not advocating for anyone to you know commit yeah, violence yeah. or any crimes here. I'm just letting you in on a little New York City secret. Just the truth. Yeah. Just the truth. Yeah, so Luke, uh, you're running out of PA. What what would you like to see changed in terms of federal gun laws, federal gun restrictions, or even just stuff out of Pennsylvania? Yeah, so I guess one of the things I'd like to see change is less push for further gun restrictions. There's a, a massive push over the last, I'd say, six years for for gun restrictions, and really what people want when when they what they will say to you is we need background checks. Well, as I'm sure the three of us already know. Uh, I'm a gun owner. We have background checks. I, I walked in to buy my concealed carry uh, Ruger, and I didn't walk out until they had done a background check, called it in, and got it verified. That That's the system that we have in place right now. Um, so what people mean, though, when they say that is they want a gun registry. They don't say that because it, it doesn't sound as good, but it's a very different thing. They want to know who you are, where you live, what guns you have, who has access to those guns and where you keep them. That's a gun registry. That's not a background check. I I support the background checks. I mean, look, I I understand guns are kind of like cars in that before you operate one, you should prove that you can responsibly operate one. I I think our current system is is pretty okay when it comes to that. But when we start getting to a registry, why do you need a registry? So that law enforcement can come and knock on my door, you know, when, when, uh, you know, my girlfriend or my mom is home and, and take the guns or, or while I'm asleep. No, you don't need that. Um, and, and I think that's a, a real overstep into territory that, that I would call really threatening and authoritarian. And that comes back to the, the reason behind the Second Amendment. You, you know, something I love to tell people is the Second Amendment is great for hunting. It's great for sport shooting. It's great for gun collecting. But that's not what it's about at its core. At its core, it's a final check in place against a government that our founders knew could become corrupted. And then some people will come back and say, okay, so that's a fine as an idea. But really, like, like really, Luke, with, with modern technology, you think that a couple guys with rifles are even going to matter if the government ever becomes corrupt? To which I say, look at a little place that me and Gabe know about called the Middle East, right? A, a bunch of guys with rifles have thrown off and rejected uh, uh, the West, the East, right? Russia, the United States, England in the last several decades of their history because there are a bunch of guys with rifles who believe in what they stand for. I'm not saying that I believe in radical Islam, but they believe in what they do. They stick to it and they're very hard to bring to heel. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it is a great final check to have in place. Uh, and history has shown us that if you open up your eyes. Yeah, and even just having the ability to defend yourself against the government, the go- the, having the government know that if they do try to come for your property, that there will yeah. be a fight is enough of a check. I mean, we see what's going on in Minneapolis with riots and stuff like that. But if the government wanted to, if why doesn't the government just crush it? If we can't fight back against anything, if we have no power, why wouldn't the military just sweep into Minneapolis, put everybody down and be done with it? Because they know that people around the country will rise up and they'll fight back and they know that everyone is watching. And when you try to take down American citizens, you're going, there's going to be pushback. Yes. Well, yeah. I also, I also want a little butt in here to what you said. I also don't believe that 
there are a lot of service members out there that will just join you know the military to mow down civilians yes. i don't think that they're the only thing that's holding them back is like the american people with <laughs> you know they're well that too the oath to the constitution and the people that also. Well, we're, but right. i've said that before i believe that right, the military right. wouldn't even if the government tried to become tyrannical i believe that the military would fracture you would probably you would have people that would be like oh i'm gonna side with the government but you would have a large swath of soldiers who would side with the people? And we've seen it with yeah, law enforcement, with all these the, these gun grabbers in Virginia, that they sided with the people and with the Constitution. Mm. So because it, many of these guys in, in law enforcement and military are, are guys who love their freedoms, <laughs> you know, right. who, who love and they signed up to defend. You, you know, the, the oath is to to defend against all enemies, what foreign and, and domestic. domestic. That means that, like in the oath, it, it couldn't be more clearly, blatantly laid out that we recognize not all threats are going to come from outside. We got some bad people here too. And if and when a threat comes from here, the oath that I took is to obey lawful orders, constitutional orders. That means that if you give me an unconstitutional, unlawful order, if you become a domestic enemy, then you've become my enemy according to the oath that I've taken. So, so and, and I think you're both exactly right, is, is that uh, the, the idea that like, well, once the National Guard comes in, now the cops are gone. National Guard is going to be mowing them down. It's like, no, man. Like, like these National Guard guys, they're Americans. Like, like they, they love you guys. They, they want to see peace, but they're not here to, to start wrecking shop. You, you know, um, they, they care about these communities. So, uh, so yeah, I, I think, and that's another good thing that we have for our rights right now is that the military, by and large, is still very pro-American minded. Um, and there is a movement, though, to try to change that. They, they want to change our minds before they change our actions. And, uh, and I think we need to stand against that as well. Yeah, and I think that's a big part of the oath is that the oath in America is to the Constitution. It's to the law of the land. It's not to any person. Yes. And that's what separates us from all these other countries. If you look at militaries around the world, these people are loyal to whoever's in charge. The American military, American police force are supposed to be loyal to the Constitution, which is there to uphold the rights of the people. Mm-hmm. And... People ask, well, what happens? Well, when do you feel like your government is ever going to take over? Or mm-hmm. when is it going to infringe your rights? And we've been seeing that here since COVID. Like the whole COVID thing, it's been a complete throwaway. That's why A.G. Barr said that in times of crisis, uh, you know, the Constitution was, will still be upheld. Yes. Uh, because we've yes. seen that, those infringements. And I'm so proud of what's happened in Michigan uh, when you had armed prote- protesters, not rioters. These were actual mm. protesters going yeah. into the state capitol building saying that this is what we demand but again then we have the enemies of, of liberty uh the invisible enemy that sometimes the president says also i would throw the media into that saying well if they were all black americans then this would have been a very different story this is and they try to make it a race thing it's always it always goes back to race and what we found was like hey no they were actually it was actually a multiracial uh, yeah. protest that happened yeah. it was an american thing because it's the american thing to do and that's what that's the the narrative that will destroy so many people, so many people on the left, because it's actually about unity, and that's what we're seeing here. And and Luke, you're you're 100 correct. I mean, I myself uh, haven't deployed yet, um, but um, and you know maybe that's a good thing because right now we're technically at a peacetime, and I think it's great that we're at that stage right now. Um, but you know, you and I are both trained in in trying to identify like you know where an IED might be or what that uh, what an insurgency fighting an insurgency is like. And, you know, you get into the nitty gritty of it. It's insane how people with homemade materials can disrupt 
a huge force. And our biggest mistake was that we went into the Middle East thinking, ah, we got this. They're just, <laughs> you know, we had the light. They have the, the least amount of resources. Who knew that they can make Soviet, Soviet equipment work so well um, against us? And then we see what's happening uh, when it comes to, we see what happens when it's coming to our rights now. What's happening in, in uh, Minnesota, I know we'll get into that in a, uh, later in a different episode, but we're finding that there are people that are actually now using their rights again to defend each other, no matter, yes. regardless of the race. And it's so important. Now, I do have a question for you, though. When it comes to President Trump's view on the red flag laws and mm. Dan Crenshaw's as well, both of them who I, you know, I like, but I also feel like he could also be targeting the veteran community a bit. Uh, what just explain, elaborate what your views on the on the is? It's pretty easy. I, I don't like him. I disagree with him. You know, and, and mm-hmm. I, I had people say uh, I heard in a few debates. Uh, I like to kind of listen to debates, try and educate myself on the the opinions of the opposition as well as some opinions that I agree with. And I've heard people say like, "Well, you know that Ronald Reagan supported uh, massive gun bans." And the easy answer there is, is yeah, and I, I loved Ronald Reagan. That doesn't mean that I co-sign on everything that he ever said or did. So find me the clip where I said that Ronald Reagan or Donald Trump or it was Jesus Christ and that I agree with everything he ever did, and then you'll have me. But if I never said that, which I never did or will, um, then, then don't come at me with the opinions of, of a man. And this isn't to you. This is to, to people who, who would try and leverage that, right? Um, but yeah, I think Trump and, and Crenshaw, um, I think they're well-intentioned, but I think that their opinions on red flag laws, um, they're, they're wrong, I think, ultimately, just at the end of the day. And this, this kind of comes to an underlying issue, and it's that I think we, as, as pro-America, pro-freedom individuals, need to be willing to not take ourselves too seriously and not take our leaders too seriously. There's really this idea on the radical left, but also seeping onto the right, that anything that my man or my woman says is, is gold, it's law. So, so like, hey, Trump's our guy, anything he says is good by us. And it's like, well, wait a second, he can be our guy, he can be a great man and, and arguably the, the best American president of my lifetime but still not be perfect. And we can still criticize him when he's imperfect. I think red flag laws are, are a perfect example of that. I, I don't agree with him. I, I think he's wrong on that front, as is Dan Crenshaw. Yeah. I mean, but they're I, still good men. You, you know, mm-hmm. I, I still do think they're good men. We just disagree. Yeah. And but what you said about people, you know, being about their guy is 100% correct. And we have, we've seen people like Nick Fuentes say stuff <laughs> where they're fine with authoritarianism, as long as it supports their goal. And that's the least American thing that I believe you could ever do. Yeah. If, I don't care who yeah. it is. If Trump became a tyrant tomorrow, I, you would see me in the streets. That would be it. You cannot allow authoritarianism regardless of what side you're on. That's not mm-hmm. what it, this country is about. And I always tell people, listen, we can have a discussion. I'm going to tell you my views. You can tell you my, you can tell me yours. We don't have to agree. We don't even have to have the discussion if you really don't want to have the discussion. But my job, especially with the platform that we have, it's not to force my views onto other people. It's to educate people on what's going on, on the issues that we're having, especially in New York, but in the country, and to give you my point of view on it. It's not for you to listen to what I say and instantly go, oh, every single thing you say is 100% correct. 
anyone right. who disagrees with me is a piece of garbage. That's mm -hmm. not what this country is about. We can all have different views. And that's what makes America, that really is what makes America great. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I never want to tie my ship so tightly to someone else's that I lose the ability to disagree with them. And, and this is actually, you know, one of the, the comparisons that I often make to people is um, relationships in general rely on good communication, right? So, so if it's your girlfriend, your dad, your best friend, you better have good communication. I believe the same thing about you and your congressional reps. You should have good communication with your local leaders. In other analogous relationship there is that um, if you can't argue with someone who you're in a relationship with, whether it's your brother or your wife, um, if you can't have an argument, have a disagreement and still respect each other, then you've got a really weak relationship. Um, so, and this comes, comes down to, again, to these red flag laws and these ideas that sometimes people who we care about, people who we respect, get it wrong and disagree with us. We can argue with them. We can argue these points. That's okay. That's not being a turncoat. Um, so I think that's a really important point for us to make and specifically for us to make on the right side of the aisle because if we start to become what we hate, if we start to become these people who support blindly anything that our leader says, then we lose a lot of the authority that we have had in logic and in morality. And I think that would be a big problem. Right. And to that point, I think what the 2016 election, what it did was not only did it get more people involved in politics, but I think it also created a lot of talking heads where a lot of people will say things, just be, they're just reiterating stuff without actually researching it themselves. And I'll be the first to tell you, I was a Democrat. I was a huge lefty communist, um, but technically I was a lifelong Republican or you know, right winger because at the age of 18 is when I, you know, I actually uh, put my voter registration as Republican. Prior to that, it was just me being an angsty teen um, <clears throat> up until the age of about like you know sixteen, saying that I I agree with the ideas of freedom and liberty, uh, and going off of that. But we're finding that a lot of people are just taking some talking points that Trump says, "Ha ha, fake news." Ah, Ma uh, MAGA make America great again, and running with that, and thinking that that's a valid argument. Yes. And no, like the way that I came to understanding. Uh, the ideas of freedom and liberty was because I read and that's what we're finding that not many people do and the issue with that is that it makes us look weaker as a movement because we should be able to criticize just because I say yes. I don't support the president's um, spending doesn't mean that I dislike the president or that that we should have turncoats on the right or on the left for what you believe in we are against you know a lot of what the left has to say but at the same time you have to understand that they're still Americans the same way. Uh, they have an interesting view of how they believe the country should work. Um, but we still have to, I, there's still a bit of dignity that should be left there, as you said, about having that, the ability to communicate and have that relationship. And I think the, the biggest issue is that we have become so sensitive and the ability to not speak with each other has become so taboo. Like, oh, you, why are you yes. friends with that Republican? Yes. Why are you friends with that Democrat? That it's creating this, this violence and this hostility. And again, if you have your own morals and your own values, then you should be able to identify with the political party that means best to you and you should be able to best defend it. But that doesn't mean that because somebody like, you know, Stephen Crowder, Dinesh D'Souza, Paul Russell Watson, you know, great people in my opinion, 
But just because they say something, that doesn't mean you have to agree with everything because you're a human being first. Yes. And you have your own beliefs. Right. We're looking at, we're looking at the reason. We're looking at the character as opposed to the person. And this comes down to a, a lot of identity politics today, which is about ethnicity, uh, age, um, uh, you know, your, your race uh, or, or your gender. Um, these things are things that I don't want to hear about. Don't come at me with, hey, this is a message of a Hispanic guy. This is a message of a black guy. Tell me the message, and then I'll decide on the, the merits of the message, whether or not I agree with it. I don't care if he's, if he's Republican or Democrat. Let, let's hear about what he believes and how he justifies what he believes. One of the quotes that I've heard, and I'll probably botch it here, but it basically boils down to, you don't truly know what you believe until you've heard and answered the strongest arguments against what you believe. And it's for this reason that one of my, my nightly, you know, like bedside readings is the Communist Manifesto, not because I like the Communist Manifesto, but because I think it's really important to know what the opposition believes. And one of the biggest sources of opposition today to free market capitalism, which is where I stand, where I put my allegiance, is, is socialism and communism. Um, so, so I think you're, you're exactly right. You know, we, we need to be able to have a, a little self-deprecating humor. Who doesn't love that? That's a strong thing to do, to make fun of yourself, not take yourself too seriously, criticize your own beliefs and the beliefs of others, and uh, in a way that's critical, um, in a positive way, though. You're critically thinking. You're trying to find the weaknesses and address them. That makes us stronger as a society. Yeah, and I think you're 100% right, but I think another big issue is that too many people, like you said, they're not educated on their position. They get their position from the news and they, they parrot it. But then we've also Facebook. had this issue where, yeah, you're not allowed to talk about politics. You're not allowed to talk about religion. You're not allowed to talk about these things because it's not polite. You're going to start a fight. You're going to start an argument. But then you don't learn how to hear other people's point of view. So you're only allowed to talk with people who you agree with. So you're constantly just being told what you believe in over and over again. You get it from Facebook. You get it from the news. You get it from the people that you're allowed to speak to about politics because they agree with you. And you never learn anything. Like, how would any of us wake up to what's going on in the world if we only listen to people that we agreed with? It, it doesn't work that way. Agreed. Agreed. So that echo chamber effect that, that has been talked about a lot lately, and I, I do think it's a problem. And it, it really just comes down to, I think, being willing to, um, to talk to people with whom you disagree rather than arguing with them or, or insulting them. Or, or even arguments aren't always bad. So I'd say... Uh, having reason-based arguments as opposed to insulting arguments. Uh, there, there's no reason to go around insulting each other when you disagree, but there is a reason to go around and compare the logic behind what you believe. Um, and if we can do more of that, I think there's actually a big movement in millennials and Gen Z to accept each other and try to understand each other. You know, millennials and Gen Z kind of get painted as like this crazy liberal generation. Some of them are. But I think some of them are just not communicated with very well. And uh, I think that's one of the benefits that, that I have as, as a, young, uh, a young leader and as someone who's a, a Washington outsider. I think we can connect on that. And that really excites me. Yeah, I think, that, I think that's a big thing. And I think it's not even that the generations are super liberal. I think it's that the people who are the loudest are the left. That's what it is. And that's why everyone looks at this country and everyone thought Hillary was going to win because the left is so loud. <laughs> And in reality, everyone else is like, listen, I'm just not going to go around shouting all over the place <laughs> my political views. I'm going to go. I'm going to make my voice heard when I go vote. And I think that kind of woke people up to go, hey, 
You know, we have a bunch of people, even in New York, we had 2 million gun owners not vote. If 2 million gun owners voted against Andrew Cuomo, he would have been gone. I mean, it's, it's, it, that's just what it is. It's the loudest voices are the minority. That's why everyone's like, oh, the country's being taken over by communists. The country's being taken over by Bernie Sanders supporters. How much support does Bernie Sanders have? He couldn't even beat Joe Biden. Like, come on. Right, right. But they're loud. They know how to get their message out there. And there's something to be learned from, from the, uh, the ideological enemy there, that, right? It's like, if they're that good at marketing and at getting their viewpoint out there, maybe we can learn some, some of that and, and use it for good. 100%. I've been saying that, I think, for since, episodes, since uh, we switched over to having Tack on the show. It's that the left, they're masters, masters at public image. They make it yes. seem like they are trying to help everybody, when in reality, all they're doing is spending our money and not helping anyone. They haven't helped anyone in 50 years. I mean, it's amazing that they're still in office. So we, we do. We have to take that. You have to take the tool of your enemy and use it for good. Man, that's, that's right. why, yeah, that's why um, here on this show, uh, they brought Tack and I on because they got to make the image, you got to round us out here. Well, Peter was too white. That was the problem. He was just like too white. So we, we, had, we had to. <laughs> I, I was going to say, judging by the, the optics of the show right now, earlier we were talking a little bit about ethnicity. We've got a great mix right now, you know, so, so I'm pretty happy with it. Um, but but the, the truth is, is that that's, that's very easy to do in America, to talk to other ethnicities. The media likes to tell us that that's not easy, um, but, but that's not the experience of, of most Americans. I, I mean, we, we, uh, racism is a very real thing that most Americans stand against. Uh, so <laughs> I'm a fan of, of, uh, of mixing it up a bit. And as someone who's ethnically a mutt myself, I'm very mixed in, in my heritage. Uh, it's always been normal to me. It's just been normal. Yeah, we just have to put disclaimers of uh, our races in the beginning of the audio so that they had all don't think. Because I bet you if I came on speaking like this, like, oh, they got a Hispanic on the hey, well, well, according to Joe Biden, Tack is no longer black. So we do, we're, now it's just you, Gabe. But you're oh, also, well, according to Jeffrey Lacks, a white supremacist. So maybe uh, yes, we I'm don't have as much diversity as we thought. You know, I don't think so. I mean, well, we're, we're losing for, them hand over fist. Just, yeah, yeah, and I'm waiting no longer for, black. Yeah, no, I'm waiting for uh, Joe Biden to come on saying, uh, if you're legal, you're not really Hispanic. <laughs> Good old, Joe Biden is the gift that keeps on giving. I, I really, you know, sometimes I try, to, um, I try to take myself, my emotion and my personal investment out of a situation. And I say, if I were just analyzing this as, as an outside third party, what would I do? And what I do for the, for the Democrats is I say, if I were a Democratic strategist, if I were a campaign strategist or a string puller, what would I do? And the answer is I, I would run almost anybody from that field of 30 other than Joe Biden. Like, I really don't know why they did that. I, I, the, the one guess I'd have is for centrist appeal. You know, he's kind of like this, uh, you know, uh, kind of cool Uncle Joe who maybe some centrist uh, uh, union workers and stuff might relate to. But he's so out there and he's so bad at interviews and public speaking. I think he loses uh, nine times out of 10. So my strategy advice to them would be uh, choose a really strong VP. <laughs> well, I think they got, they got kind of pigeonholed into Joe Biden because Bernie Sanders was, was looked like he was running away with it. So they had to condense the field to go, who can we go behind? You know, Pete Buttigieg had no political experience. No one likes Elizabeth Warren. You know, they were just like, hey, Joe Biden, Obama, maybe, maybe we have a chance. And it was just like, we can't run a communist. And I think that from the beginning, they knew they weren't going to win this election. 
And we'll yeah. see what happens, obviously. But, you know, I think that they were like, anyone we put against Trump is going to lose. If we put Joe Biden, at least we don't take away, you know, someone like Amy Klobuchar's. Ability yeah, to for the future. future. So yeah. I think it was just Joe Biden's not going to be able to run again. He's the Obama guy. We can save face by saying, hey, we were trying to bring America back to the better times of Obama. And it's an excuse for why they lost, why they're going he, to. And I believe they are. The, the throwaway shot, right? Like yeah. he's the arrow that you're not afraid to, to lose. And uh, maybe that's right on. I mean, that, that's not a bad thought. That's one I hadn't really heard before, but that's very possible. How funny was it, though, when, when Barack Obama endorsed Joe Biden once Joe Biden was the only candidate left? Like, you can't make this stuff up. That's hilarious. That's like, he, he comes out and expects us to take him seriously on Twitter when he says, I'm proud to endorse my friend Joe. And you're like, dude, when this guy had any semblance of competition, you were silent. You left him hanging out to dry. And now that he's all that's left, you come out and say you're proud of him. Like, get out of here. What, what garbage. How can people not see through that? So there's some really fun stuff going on. Uh, you, you have to, in today's culture, it's like some of this stuff is so crazy. You have to either laugh or cry about it. And I, I just choose to laugh sometimes because <laughs> it's crazy. What is your favorite Joe Biden gaffe? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> um, I, I love, well, okay, before we get to Joe Biden, I'll say, Something that was very swept under the rug is that Barack Obama actually had a lot of gaffes while he was in office. I mean, Barack Obama was a pretty big public speaker, but Barack Obama said that there were, he said he's been to um, like 40 out of 56 states, not including Alaska and Hawaii. You know, uh, Barack Obama called the Marine Corps the Marine Corps. Um, uh, he did a lot of pretty goofy stuff that was swept under the rug that if uh, George W. Bush had done it, we would still be joking about today. Because uh, George Bush had some some pretty hilarious gaffes too, you know. If you fool me once, then you fool me again. You did not just fool me twice. It, like it, it's funny. Like come on, can't we just laugh at what's funny these days? Um, but Joe Biden, I mean, the one where he tells, I believe it's a a, a wounded military veteran who is a a quadruple or a, a, a paraplegic to stand up. He, he says, "We're honoring you." The guy can't either doesn't have legs or is paralyzed from the waist down. And Joe Biden says, "Stand up. Let us honor you." And then and he goes like. Oh, uh, uh, God bless you. Uh, how about we all stand in honor? I mean, that one's just so awkward. Um, and then the legs one stands out to me, where he he's saying to, he's saying that he has little black kids come in the pool and rub down his legs, and then the, the hair stands up. And then he randomly like I thought this was patched into the quote. Uh, I, I almost I was like this can't be real. So I looked up. No, the full quote is he says that, and then he says, "So I know about roaches." And, and you're like, yeah. "What is he? What is he saying?" What. He just called these little kids roaches. In context, that's what it is. Um, so, but Joe Biden's, he just, there's like a new one every, every week. And then, of course, You Ain't Black is just hilarious. Oh. I mean, it's, it's wild. <laughs> no, you, you Ain't Black is possibly the most damaging one because I've talked to people on the left who are like huge liberals. And they're like, yeah, yeah I can't believe he just told black people that if they don't vote for him, they're not black. But I also yeah, love the yeah. one where he forgot, he forgot the, was it the preamble to the Constitution? Uh, <laughs> the Declaration of Independence? Yeah, you know, uh, the thing, you know, liberty, whatever, freedom. I just <laughs> tweeted about it yesterday, actually, because I've been doing a, a weekly Joe Biden quote. And, and the, that, that was uh, yesterday's quote. I think it's, uh, he's just, well, we know all men and women created equal for the, uh, you know, uh, the thing, you know, the thing. <laughs> it's just like, good Lord, man. This is just, this is good stuff. This is great content. <laughs> mm -hmm. an interesting one for me would be uh i think poor kids uh, are just as smart as white kids oh my gosh oh my gosh <laughs> it, it's like the the 
the assumption behind that statement that that is shown by him saying that is is so racially charged it's wild and it, can you just imagine though like sometimes again I, I tried to step back out of a situation and say mm-hmm. let's reasonably uh assess what's going on here imagine if donald trump had said that if he had said any one of those things that we just said you, you would still hear about it today as racist as him being crazy and unstable um but but a radical leftist is protected by the mainstream media in a way that's really, really disgusting. Another one, mm-hmm. uh, we were talking about the Cuomos, right? Andrew and Chris, um, I always mix them up, but the younger brother, who I think is Chris, uh, is interviewing, uh, regularly interviewing now, right? His brother, who's the governor, <laughs> um, and throwing him these softball questions and everyone's fawning over their brotherly love. And it's great that they love each other. I mean, hey, they're brothers that they're supposed to. But can you imagine... If Don Jr., Donald Trump Jr., or Eric Trump was uh, welcomed on Fox News to interview Donald Trump, uh, you know, Donald John Trump, um, that that would be mocked. And it would be like, hey, why are we having first, uh, you know, uh, family members, first degree family members, direct family interview Donald Trump? And it would be a fair criticism because they're biased. It's it's literally propaganda. But the Cuomo's get away with it because uh, they're loving. They're leftist institutions. And then you have Frito telling Big Brother, Mom misses you. She still loves you. (laughs) She wants you to give her a call. I'm the favorite. I'm running New York. I'm the favorite brother. She told me that she loves me more than you. (laughs) It's also watching a bad soap opera. Yes, yes. Oh, my gosh. I, I, I... you can't believe these people get away with murder. Uh, I mean, they, they really do. And they call it, they call it news. And then when Donald Trump comes out and says something like the, the, his full quote, which is the fake news media is the enemy of the American people. He's exactly right. Fake news is the enemy of the American people. And then you even have people like uh, on Fox News, Chris Wallace. Uh, Chris Wallace said like, now, President Trump, why would you say that the news media is the enemy of the American people? And Trump says, I never said that. I never said that. The, the, I'm not against free speech. I'm not against the news media. I said fake news is the enemy of the American people. And by the way, we should all agree with that in a bipartisan way. Like, that's not a partisan idea. The idea that propaganda and lies is the enemy of freedom. Yes, that's a fact. So crazy stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's a great place to stop. That's a very strong quote from Luke. So, um, Luke, if you can just tell the people at home where they can find your information online and if they choose to find out more about your campaign. Yeah. All right. So check out uh, all social media. We've got Twitter, um, Instagram, Facebook. But to keep it streamlined, just go to where it's all linked, which is negron2020.com. That's my last name, N-E-G-R-O-N-2020.com. Uh, you can also sign up for our email list, um, and, and you can also donate there, uh, whether through physical checks or electronic donation. So it's all there on the website, negron2020.com. All right. And if you are in PA District 18, make sure you go out and vote for Luke. He is definitely someone that I think would be great. I wish we had you in New York. Yeah. It'd be amazing. Yeah. But uh, mm-hmm. hopefully Pennsylvania will get, will get some help from you. You've got Alexandria, so you're, you're fine. Oh, God. Don't even bring a tethered thought. <laughs> Oh, God. Gabe, why don't you tell the people where they can find you on social media and try not to, you know, butcher it this time. Okay, that was only once out of my very sophisticated system, all right? So if you're on Instagram, follow me at Baron.Montalvo, B-A-R-O-N dot Montalvo. And then if you're on Twitter, it is Baron underscore Montalvo. 
And if you're on Facebook, it's just Gabriel E. Montalvo. But you could also type that in and I'll come up too. And if you support the Hispanic conservative movement, please type in on Facebook, uh, Republican National Hispanic Assembly, New York chapter. And if you want to get involved, be more than happy to have you. All right, guys, make sure that you like, share, subscribe, all those fun things. We are on all audio platforms. So if you're watching this video, go please listen on an audio platform because every time someone listens, we get a little bit of money. It definitely helps us out. And if you would like to support us in any other way, such as buying merch, which all that money goes back into helping spread conservative values or right-wing values in New York and you know, getting new politicians like Luke in front of you, like Liz Joy, like Beth Parlato, helping us get these people elected. That's empirestatekonservnetwork.com slash store. And our website has links to all our articles, one by Gabe, or hopefully there'll be more very, very soon. And all of our audios and videos are there as well. Uh, make sure you follow us on Instagram at GetRedPilledNY, on Twitter at Empire State, Empire State Cons, on Facebook at Empire State Conservatives. And Gabe, did you have something you wanted to say? Use code capital G-A-B-E-1-0 to get 10% off of the store. Oh, God, you're the worst. Thank you. Yeah, if you guys want to help Gabe out, use, use code Gabe10 and you get 10% off and help Gabe make some money. <laughs> <laughs> so, guys, for that, everyone stay safe and don't let fear take your freedom.